Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. So today we will be looking at the parable of the sower which is uh, one that we're all pretty well familiar with. Um, it's one that's commonly talked about. Um, but we're going to uh, look at it uh, in light of some current events so that we can kind of understand uh, the reason that Jesus gave us the parable and uh, how it can encourage us in the day or uh, today. So today's topic is apostasy and the parable of the sower. We're going to see if this thing works from this distance. Uh, first thing is we want to define apostasy real quick. So apostasy is the rejection of uh, someone who was form rejection of Christianity by someone who was formerly a Christian. The word comes from the Greek um, apostasia, meaning defection, departure, revolt, rebellion. So specifically, it's not just someone who has never been a Christian and doesn't want to believe. This is someone who was previously a Christian and now has walked away from the faith. Um, it's been described by uh, others in uh, the church as... Uh, uh, the willful desire to follow after someone other than Christ. So uh, when, when we talk about apostasy, we're talking very specifically about someone who used to be part of the church and now is not. So the question, why are we talking about apostasy this morning? And uh, the reason we are is because recently, uh, if you're uh, at all in tune with kind of like normal uh, uh, news that swirls around the evangelical world, we had two people uh, apostatize specifically Joshua Harris and Marty Sampson. And you may or may not know who these guys are, so uh, really quickly we'll just talk about who they are. Josh Harris uh, wrote the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye. If you were at all like part of my generation and you were like into the uh, you know dating, things like that in the 90s, this was like this huge book that blew up and started the whole purity culture movement. It like changed the way that we're uh, evangelical specifically and the church generally kind of approached dating. There's this big push to start doing uh, like a formalized courtship and things like that. So I can see Emily smiling. <laughs> so uh, if, if you were at all involved with that, you, you probably uh, were either aware of it specifically or you knew people who were making fun of it, depending on uh, uh, where, where you fell with that. Uh, but it was a real, real big thing. It was kind of the first pushback against modern dating culture from the church generally. Uh, and then he followed that up with another book called Boy Meets Girl, which was about him meeting his wife. Um, and so in the last month, um, he has announced that he is both divorcing his wife and he is walking away from the faith. So pretty, like, you know, this is a book that sold over two million copies, I think, between the two. Like, I mean, really, really well-known uh, pastor. And so very sad to see that happen. And then Marty Sampson um, is the leader of the Hillsong United group. So he's, he wrote a lot of really uh, common songs that we all know. I thought he wrote Here I Am to Worship, but when we sang it, I realized he was not actually the author. Uh, and what I was trying to do was uh, uh, have us sing a song that was written by someone who has now walked away from the faith to kind of get at what we're going to get to by the end of this series, which is that even when someone leaves the faith, you don't have to, uh, your own faith doesn't need to be shaken by it. But we'll get that. So like here's, he wrote Cornerstone, Mighty to Save, Oceans. These are all very common songs sung in the church. Some of them very powerful and that have biblical truth in them. So how do we as Christians deal with it when someone who we looked up to and is who, who is very well known and a leader in the faith decides, I'm going to walk away from it? So knowing that, um, what do we do anytime we encounter anything that seems to uh, shake our faith? And uh, the answer to that, if you move to the next slide, uh, 
So really quickly, to, to give a little more context to uh, the thing. So uh, this is a bit of a personal story from my side. So this is uh, Josh Harris announcing to the world that he is no longer a Christian. And uh, it's just some select quotes that I pulled out of that. Um, it's a fairly long little thing. But uh, he at least was very honest. He said, by all measures that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. So he's like self-evaluated and went, you know what? Based on everything that I've got, to measure whether or not I'm a Christian. It's just like, I am not anymore. Um, he went on to say, Martin Luther said that the entire life of believers should be repentance. There's a beauty in that sentiment, regardless of your view of God. That is absolutely false. You cannot have repentance apart from God because you're not repenting from sin. Repentance requires that you turn away from sin. If you don't have the right view of God, you can't turn away from sin. Um, he said at the end, I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. Uh, and I'll be uh, honest with you, my first reaction to this was not good. All right, so uh, go on to the next slide where we kind of go back to that. I saw this picture and I was like, dude, like <laughs> you're talking about walking away from the Lord of the universe and renouncing your own salvation, and you, want, you announce this with like a, I'm feeling deep, let me look out at a lake picture on Instagram. Like my reaction to it was very... Uh, kind of, you know, base level arrogance of like, this is not, you know, what someone who is a leader in the faith should be uh, doing in terms of trying to model uh, things. And now he's not anymore, obviously. And some of that is tied to kind of the, the general shallowness that comes with a, uh, a social media perspective on uh, culture and life and all the rest. And so then following up with Marty Sampson, he did something very similar, you know, his last name Samson, so I'm assuming he chose this image of Samson as a, a result of that. Though a little bit ironic that he chose to renounce his faith by showing a picture of a guy who gave his life for his faith. But that aside, uh, some quotes from that. I'm genuinely losing my faith, right? Again, he's just trying to emote uh, to the world. It doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world, it's crazy. Uh, how many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not, not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. Uh, all I know is what's true to me right now, and Christianity just seems to me like any other religion at this point. There was a really good reply to this in National Review from a guy named David French who basically said, this doesn't ring true. Right? You can't, un unless you're in a very specific kind of church that doesn't want to talk about hard things, like we talk about preachers falling all the time, right? Miracles, Bible's contradictions, like Christians are talking about these things constantly because the world is constantly pounding at them from the outside, right? Like if you didn't hear about this in your church, you either weren't plugged into your church at all or your church wasn't teaching you very well. So like the generally what you find is when someone walks away from the faith, particularly in this particular fashion, they look for something that they can attach their reason for walking away to that is not themselves. They find something outside that they can say, it wasn't me, it's this other stuff, and it's forcing me out, and I'm just trying to be true to myself. Uh, and that makes it really difficult then for someone else who is in the faith, you know, particularly if they're in a hard spot, they're struggling, they're trying to figure out their own way, and they look at the example of someone else and go, ah, man, I've been asking myself a lot of questions too. Maybe... Maybe he's got it right, right? This guy that I looked up to, maybe, maybe he's got it right. And so then their faith starts crumbling from the inside out as well. So we're going to do what anyone should do when you're encountered with anything, uh, any problems from the outside, and that is we're going to go to Scripture. And so in, you know, when, whenever we 
see someone who is seemingly solid apostatized, we go to the Word of God whenever we deal with anything that seems like, I, I don't know how to deal with this. This is assaulting my faith. This is a problem. Let's figure out what God has to say about it first, and then we'll circle back around and see what we can apply from his scripture. So today's passage is the parable of the sower. And if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1, ready verses 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. So starting in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then dropping down to verse 18, this is Jesus now explaining the parable just to his disciples. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So if you would, bow your heads and pray with me as we dive into the scripture. Heavenly Father, we know that uh, I am not sufficient to uh, accurately handle your word, but we know that your Holy Spirit is. And so as I uh, speak this morning, I pray that you would uh, be working within me to uh, speak only truth. Um, Let uh, those in the congregation uh, be listening with open hearts, uh, with uh, minds desiring to learn, and let them be Bereans who are uh, testing and constantly weighing all that I say against Scripture. Let all that is good um, hold fast and sink deep into their hearts, and all that is bad, let it fall away to the side so that uh, your truth can stand paramount as always. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So, our thesis this morning, coming into this, is that we need to understand that the parable of the sower is actually the parable of the soils, so that we can remain firm in our faith in the face of apostasy. Um, Just quick sign out, the reason this is called the parable of the sower is because Jesus called it the parable of the sower, so we'll be a little bit careful when Christ says this is the name of the parable, you don't want to rewrite what he said, but when you look at the subject matter of what's there, it's more helpful to us to think about it as the parable of the soils, because that's the focus of the parable. So... What is a parable? Let's talk that for just a second. A parable is a simple story that's used to illustrate the moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. So it's a uh, a metaphoric um, story that helps us understand uh, what he's trying to get at from a a, a different perspective. So uh, first up, we're going to look at the uh, different types of soil that we've got. So the very first type of soil that we had was along the path. The second type of soil we had was the rocky ground. The third type was the thorns. And the fourth type was the good soil. So three types of bad, one type of good. So we're going to go through each of these, dive into them a little bit, uh, unpack them just a little bit. So along the path, 
this is an area where you would have had like really frequent foot traffic. Um, so the way Jesus describes it, he says, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. The soil is so hard that the seed doesn't even get into the ground. It's just laying out there, birds come along, they can devour it. So his explanation of what this type of soil was is, dropping in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's what's sown along the path. So uh, imagine, if you will, this path that's going along. You've got your vines along one side, and then you've got that hard-baked path. That's where people are walking. That's where your carts are going. It's where your animals are trotting back and forth with their hooves. So that's the spot that everyone walks back and forth so that you don't mess up what's good, right? You don't want to crush what you've already planted underfoot. So nothing will grow there. And even if something tries to take root there, it will immediately get crushed under people's foot. So if you throw any seed down there, it just lays on top of it. It's, that's the uh, old school equivalent of concrete or asphalt. This was the road that people traveled. Nothing's going to grow there. So there's our little birds, right? Look at those shady guys, man. So those are... Uh, uh, they're pretty adorable, but uh, uh, the actual image of what, uh, uh, what is happening there is fairly stark, right? The devil comes along and snatches away the word. So these are people who, uh, uh, the, this type of soil is someone whose heart is so hardened that the word just sits there. It doesn't sink in in the slightest bit. And immediately Satan comes and snatches it away to prevent anything from happening because he has no interest in you hearing the word of God and letting it germinate. So if, uh, uh, if the Seed falls along the path, nothing will come of it. Uh, moving on to the rocky ground then. This is, uh, uh, the, it's described in the parable as uh, other seeds falling on rocky ground where they don't have much soil, there is some, and immediately they spring up, so there's growth. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. So then his explanation to the disciples is, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet they have no root in themselves and endure for a while, but when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So uh, a good way to think about this rocky ground is something that's like partway there, right? So like, you know, we've seen like, you know, you've been in a forest, you get to a rocky field, there's stuff growing on the edges. Um, if you uh, uh, have ever been to a field like this right after it rains, there'll be a lot of wildflowers that just big explosion and it's stunning and beautiful and there's color everywhere. And if you go back to that same place in a week, it's just yellow dead grass because it just sprang up and then the sun came up and it baked all that stuff and the, there was nothing there to sustain the plant anymore and it withered and died away. Um, so the uh, looking at kind of how the soils lay out, the uh, soil is so thin, what ends up happening is the roots are growing downward. They're trying to get somewhere, and they hit that rocky layer underneath that hasn't been tilled up. They do that, and they're looking for water somewhere, so they end up turning around and coming back up. And when they get back up to the soil up top, they expose themselves to air, to disease, and all this other stuff, and they wither away because they can't sustain themselves any longer. And uh, it's funny. I was looking, trying to look up like examples of, you know, okay, what kind of stuff grows in rocky ground, yada, and you're trying to find specifically the stuff that doesn't work well for the example, like what springs up and then dies, and you can't find anything because everyone wants their stuff to grow. So it's like how to grow like succulents, you know, and like desert plants in rocky soil and all this other stuff. That was the best I could find that showed what the different layers of soil are doing. So uh, if you want to grow things in rocky ground, you can only do desert plants. You can't do anything particularly pretty. 
Uh, but that's, uh, that's the image that Jesus is trying to evoke. And, you know, everyone who lived uh, at that time would have been very familiar with agricultural, it being an agricultural society, and would have understood this idea of something springing up and then immediately dying away. Uh, so this is a, uh, uh, the image is of a commitment that is highly visible, but is very superficial, right? Like that field of wildflowers, it springs up and it's stunning, but it's just not going to stick around. Uh, looking over in 1 Timothy 5.22, uh, Paul warns Timothy, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Right? Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. He's talking about the raising up of elders in that particular passage. The reason he cautions him against that is to prevent exactly this, that you see someone who has sprouted up in shallow soil, and the sprout looks stunning. Right? There's beauty there. There's a, a, a flower. It looks like things are well. But then tribulation comes along on account of the word, and they wither and fall away. And you don't know if they're going to wither and fall away from that initial. You don't know what the soil looks like underneath that top layer until the tribulation comes along. So don't be hasty to raise people up because you just don't know how they're going to handle uh, bad things coming along until you've seen them handle those bad things. Right? This isn't to say that we should doubt people's salvation initially when they respond to the word. We should have joy when they do. But specifically for positions of leadership, which is what Paul's talking about in this t- uh, passage in First Timothy, be slow about it. Take some time, learn who they are, and wait to see how they act uh, under pressure. We had a um, pastor at my previous church, uh, Foothill Bible, used to say that people are like uh, tea bags, and you don't really know their flavor until you stick them in hot water. Right? <laughs> Same idea, right? Like, uh, 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 you know, I always tell people who are dating, you know, uh, don't judge the person that you're dating and whether or not you want to marry them based on that first date, right? Because they are on their absolute best behavior, right? They're, they're the absolute best they can possibly be. You want to find out who they are when they don't know you're watching and when something's going really wrong, right? Things go sideways on them. They're really frustrated. How do they react to them, right? Someone's actively attacking them. How do they react to that person? That's, that's when you find out who somebody really is. Um, Again, in 1 John 2, 19, we have, uh, oh wait, did I keep that one? No, 1 Timothy 3, 6. Um, this is, again, expounding on this idea of don't raise up someone until you've had a chance to learn who they are. An elder must not be a new believer, or, or he might be too proud of himself and be judged guilty, just as the devil was. Same idea, don't raise up someone who has just become a new believer, because you have to take time to test and learn, is this person going to stick around, Right? Don't raise up guys like uh, Josh Harris and Marty Sampson to be heroes of the faith because they haven't encountered uh, the sun, burning sun coming overhead and persecuting them on behalf of the word yet, and you don't know if they're going to wither. One caution against this, uh, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 11 through 13, Paul says, uh, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers on, uh, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So what I love about Paul is he's really good about knowing when someone is going to have a reply to his, right? So he writes in the previous chapter, you know, an elder can't be a new believer. Don't, don't raise up a new believer, otherwise they're going to be prone to uh, pride. But then following that, he says, but don't let people despise you for your youth, right? Just because you're young doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be a leader, you just need to have a proven track record, something within your life of faith that people can look to to know that you're going to remain strong uh, when tribulation comes. Uh, and so remember also that Paul is writing this to Timothy probably about 20 years after Timothy had joined him. Uh, uh, as far as we can tell from uh, the record, it seems like Timothy joined him kind of in his late teens. Um, 
So this was, you know, Paul had been with Timothy for about 15, 20 years at this point. They had been traveling all over the world. They had endured starvation, beatings, thrown in jail, all this other stuff. So Timothy was uh, in his 30s, so relatively young uh, uh, by today's standards. Not as young by ancient standards, but even so, a relatively young man. But Paul had seen him prove over and over and over again in the midst of uh, trials and tribulations that he would be faithful to the word. And so he could write to him and say, Here's the appropriate balance. Don't raise up someone who's a new believer. Make sure they prove that they uh, truly hold fast to this and they truly are a believer. Then you can raise them up. Uh, but you know, if that person happens to be a little bit younger, that's okay. Don't despise them on behalf of their youth. So that is our rocky ground. Next up is our thorns. So Jesus describes in the parable when he's preaching to the larger crowd, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then describing it to his disciples, he says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So for this, um, this is a person who commits superficially, but they don't really have repentance in their heart. Right? They like the idea of what this thing is, but the cares and loves of the world are the things that their heart is really still held fast to. Uh, looking, we got a series of photos of thorns here. I mean, these things are nasty. Look at that. That's the stuff that grows there, right? Like, what's the next one? Oof. That's pretty gnarly. Next one. Oof. Next one. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, that is, that is gnarly stuff, right? And that's the cares of the world, right? Love of riches. That's the kind of stuff he's talking about. And that's the visual image that Christ wants you to have in your head when you're thinking about that. Relative to the riches that he is willing to offer you, this is what the world has to offer. And a lot of people end up choosing this. Uh, in James 4.4, 4, uh, James is writing, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is no middle ground. Right? If, you, if there are thorns in the soil that are going to grow up and choke the weeds, or choke the good grain, there's no room for those two to share space. The thorns are going to occupy all of the resources that that soil has to give, and the good grain is going to die. There is no compromise between the two. Uh, again, in First uh, John two, chapter First uh, John chapter two, fifteen through seventeen, this is what uh, Rob read for us a little bit earlier. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's an absolute statement. If you love the world, you do not love the Father. These two things cannot coexist. There cannot be both grain and thorns. There's one or the other. So then, lastly, the good news: we have good soil. So Jesus describes the good soil to the crowd as other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And as he unfolds this for his disciples, he says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Uh, all these verbs are what are called present participles. So what's cool about them is they're, uh, we don't really have a, a verb for this in English, but it's an active uh, present tense verb. So it's something that is constantly happening in the present moment over and over and over again. So this is a believer who hears, who accepts and understands, and who bears fruit. Uh, and it's, uh, go ahead and move on to the next slide. This is the good, so this is the stuff that Brandon is excited about, right? That's good looking soil. What's the next one? Yeah, that's good soil. Next one. So that's a nice contrast, right? Good soil. Not good soil. Next one? Yeah. And I think there's one more, which is the best one. Yeah. 
good, rich soil, right? You look at that and you're like, that's going to grow something. That's the picture of that versus the thorns that we were looking at previously. So then going on, so the, uh, uh, a good way to think about this idea of present participles is, uh, and as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who is hearing, active, right? This is something that's happening in this moment, is hearing the word and is understanding it, and he indeed is bearing fruit and is yielding. That would be a really awkward way to translate it, but that's the more accurate way of understanding the way that those verbs work in the Greek. This is something that happens constantly now. It's not a one and done, I've understood this, I've stored it away, that's it. You are constantly understanding, accepting, living inside of the word, bearing fruit, constantly yielding. So another good point that uh, uh, Jesus brings up is that there are gradients within the good soil. So uh, a lot of times we'll, uh, we'll look at someone else who's in the church and be like, man, that person is just like nailing it, right? You know, like look at like an Albert Muller or something like that, or he's like doing like podcasts five days a week and he's preaching all over the place and he's reading books left and right and he sleeps two hours a day because he's a monster and all this other stuff. And you're like, man, like what am I doing, right? Like I'm struggling to read my Bible every day and you're just feeling uh, down. Don't because Christ acknowledges that there are gradients within the soils, right? Some are going to produce 30-fold, some are going to produce 60, some 100, right? There are going to be some soils that are better than others. And uh, while you shouldn't use that as an excuse to not strive, uh, you should also not be uh, crushed at the idea that maybe you're not the 100-fold soil. It's okay. Like, you're still good soil even if you're only producing 30-fold. So take encouragement from that. Uh, don't don't uh, use it as an excuse to be lazy, but also uh, be, you know, be, be content with the idea that you know it's okay if I'm not performing on the same level as the guy in the pew next to me. So then looking at our four different types of soils, uh, there's four listed here, and yet uh, if we look at the top three, they are all bad soils. Right? So three out of four, not good. And so kind of looping back a little bit to what Jesus called this, the parable of the sower, when you're out spreading the seed of the word, there's four different kinds of soils that that seed can hit. Three out of four of them, they're going to produce nothing, right, for various reasons. So don't be discouraged when you are witnessing and when you are spending time with people that three out of four times, you don't get anything good out of it, right? That This is something that we should expect. This is the normative experience. If it wasn't, Christ wouldn't have taught on it. Right? There's a reason that this is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because Jesus taught on this, and all three of those disciples thought, this is so important, I need people to know about this, and they wrote their letter and included this particular uh, 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 parable in it. So of those three soils, three of them are bad, one of them is good. So don't be disappointed or surprised when someone, uh, when you hit one of those soils. When you have rocky soil, you see someone spring up, and they seem to flourish, and then they fall away. We should expect that. So looking at guys like Marty Sampson and Josh Harris and others, uh, if, like for me, I know that I was uh, very disappointed and surprised by it, and that's because I hadn't taken the time to let this parable sink into my heart deep enough. I shouldn't have been at all surprised that someone somewhere is going to fall away because there are rocky, there's rocky ground in the world. There's going to be thorns in the world, right? When you preach to your friends who are, uh, particularly here in the U.S., right, we've got lots of thorns. We've got lots of cares in the world. We are all very rich in terms of worldly goods. That's a lot of thorns out there. And so when you go and you spread the word, don't be surprised when someone hears it and they count the cost and say, 
you know what, not worth it to me, and instead turn aside. So uh, let's look real quick uh, through some various examples uh, that we've got in Scripture just to kind of help us understand the different kinds. Uh, so what we want to do is we want to look at the fruit, right? You're going to recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is uh, specifically a passage contextually that's talking about uh, what to do in the end times when you're trying to evaluate who is a Christian and who is not. And it's helpful to us now to understand in the midst of the, uh, uh, all of the terrible things that are going to happen at the end of the age, Christ is saying, here's how you figure out who's a Christian and who's not. Look at, uh, look at the fruit of their actions. Are they acting in accordance with what you should expect from a Christian? Uh, and again, something that we should expect, looking at Matthew seven thirteen through 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This idea that when uh, you're, you have different kinds of soils, the majority of them are going to be bad is repeated often in Scripture. The number of people that are going to bow the knee to the uh, truth of Scripture and love the Lord are going to be fewer than the number of people who are going to be in love with this world. And that's something we just need to expect coming into it. So let's look through some examples real quick. So uh, ex- example in Scripture of the, along the path, the hard soil. A uh, good example for, from Scripture would be these guys. The Pharisees. How many times did they hear the message from the best preacher who has ever walked the face of the earth and, in fact, the one who authored the entire book, right? The guy, the guy who wrote this. They got to hear him day in and day out over and over and over again. And that seed produced nothing. Not because Christ was ineffectual. Not because he didn't want them to be, uh, well, not because... Uh, uh, Anything that Christ had done that his teaching was deficient or he was not uh, effective enough as a preacher, it was because they were along the path, right? They were the hardened soil. Their hearts did not want to accept the truth of the gospel. And so the seed sat there and the devil came and snatched it away. A good example of this, uh, people today, here's a great one. I I love looking for these kind of articles. They're my favorite. This Christmas, beware of evangelical Christians bearing gifts. So this is uh, someone who's convinced that the uh, shoeboxes that we send, the Operation Shoeboxes, uh, where you put toys in for the kids and you send them to uh, kids in other countries, is actually a devious plot to try to proselytize all of them. Because, man, it's a terrible thing if Christians try to share the truth of the gospel with those who need it. Uh, so this is a great example nowadays of someone who's along the path. Right? They have a hardened heart, and they are looking for reasons to dislike everything that is Christianity. Um, don't, uh, when you are walking through the field as the sower and you are spreading seed, some seeds are going to get along the path, and that's uh, okay because you don't yet know what that soil is going to be, right? So if you ran into uh, this woman and you had the opportunity to witness, absolutely witness to her and hope for the best. But uh, if you have a choice of where to uh, go sowing your seed, right, you only got so much time in a day to go plant your field, uh, don't seek out the uh, along the path, right? If you saw a farmer out there and they were spreading their seed on the asphalt and leaving the good soil uh, off to the side, completely unplanted, you'd be like, that guy's just not very smart, 
right? If you got a friend who's like hardcore, uh, you know, Richard Dawkins kind of atheist who like despises Christianity and loves to just lambast you over and over and over again, maybe don't spend a ton of time trying to uh, uh, talk to them about some of the deeper truths of Christianity. Just find chances where maybe it comes up in a conversation. You know, throw it out there, see what happens. But, you know, if you've got a choice between spending time with that guy or with someone from your congregation who might be struggling or uh, another friend of yours who seems open to talk about these things, be smart. Spread your seed in what might be good soil and then leave it to God to choose otherwise. So moving on then to rocky soil. A good example uh, is uh, this guy named Demas. And man, this is like, you want to talk about having your uh, uh, name recorded in infamy forever. So Paul, writing to Timothy, this is the last letter that he wrote. So Paul, old, cold, um, sending a, a letter to this uh, disciple whom he loves uh, as kind of a final farewell, says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So this is a, a lament for one who was serving with him faithfully and instead has fallen away. Right? This is someone who sprang up, seemed to have uh, lots of promise, and then when the sun arose and persecution came, he was gone. Uh, an example from modern day would be the guys that uh, precipitated this message, Josh Harris, Marty Sampson, guys like that who uh, it seems like they are bearing, uh, like they are going to bear fruit. It seems like they are doing something for the kingdom of God. And then when persecution comes along, they fade away. Uh, an example of thorns, uh, we're all familiar with the story of the rich man, comes along and says, hey, Jesus, you know, I, I'm, I, I want to uh, follow you. You know, I want to do all things fully expecting that Jesus is going to say, oh, yeah, you're doing great. Like, just keep doing your thing, right? So Jesus, being a very wise man and uh, uh, being able to understand human nature in a way that we can't even fathom, looks at the guy, knows exactly what he's getting at, and asks the first question that the guy is hoping he'll, he'll ask him, which is, oh, have you done all these things, right? Have you, uh, uh, you know, served the Lord your God, given to the poor, et cetera, et cetera? And the guy goes, yeah done all those things since my youth, thinking like, ha-ha, you know, I asked Jesus, you know, what can I do? And he's confirmed, I'm doing all the things, I'm good. And then Jesus gets him and goes, fantastic, only one less thing you have to do, no longer be in love with the world, right? Give up your riches. Take all of it, give it to the poor, and join me, become a disciple. And the young rich man goes away sad because he was in love with this present world. So that is a good example of thorny soil, Jesus planted a seed, there was an opportunity for it to grow, but the thorns were there, they choked it out, it couldn't grow. So an example of this from today, uh, modern day, would be pick your prosperity preacher. Right? All of these guys are people who daily sit in the word. Right? Like These guys read their Bibles more than I do, because they're constantly preaching it, and they're constantly going through their scriptures, and they don't understand it at all, because they are in love with this world. It's the, the purpose of Scripture is only to serve their bellies, not to give glory to God. They are uh, uh, firmly ensconced in the thorns. So then looking at good soil. A uh, great example of good soil from the Scriptures are your 12 apostles. Right? And, uh, e easy to point to the apostles, but they're, you know, if you're looking for something where it's like, you know, this ground gave back a hundredfold. Christ came, he planted the seed in rich soil, the uh, uh, grain of the Spirit rose up within them, and then they went out and spread that 
again themselves. A hundredfold probably doesn't even begin to describe how much work these men did on behalf of Scripture. And all the others that you know are not mentioned in Scripture, but all those people in the early church are fantastic examples of what happens when plant, seeds are planted in good soil. An example from today would be uh, this woman's name, Abby Johnson. She used to work for Planned Parenthood. She was a director of one of their uh, centers, actively helped push the abortion industry for decades. And then uh, one day was asked to actually help with an abortion herself, got to watch it happen on an ultrasound, and immediately changed, figured out this is murder, and flipped. And there was someone who had been witnessing to her from a nearby um, pregnancy center who was had been there, had been planting seed, had been talking to her, trying to witness to her. And when this moment happened and that change took place, God got hold of her life, and now she is a fearless advocate on behalf of life. So this is a really good example of how God can take uh, a seed that has been planted, put it into good soil, and then turn back a hundredfold uh, what he has uh, uh, planted. So, application. This passage uh, primarily isn't about the sower. It's about the different kinds of soil. So as culture becomes more hostile to Christianity, we should expect to see more of uh, the Joshua Harris's and the Marty Samson's. You should expect to see more apostasy as culture becomes more hostile to Christianity. So how can we handle, uh, what's the things that we can do to help uh, deal with that? Coming back to our thesis, we want to understand this parable that it's not the parable specifically of the sower, but the parable of the soils, because we want to remain firm in our faith in, the faith in the face of apostasy. We should expect three different kinds of soils to be bad soils and one kind of soil to be good soil. This is what Christ told us to expect, and so it's what we should look for. Uh, so what are some things we can do? One, don't ground your faith in anything other than the power of Jesus Christ. If your faith is at all shaken by someone who apostatizes, someone that you look up to, you have elevated that person too high in your own heart and done it uh, in exclusion to what Scripture says, right? Uh, there are people who are uh, heroes of the faith that we love. You know, you think you're, you're guys who have passed on, your John Owens, your uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, your Charles Spurgeons, people who are alive today, your John Pipers, your MacArthur's, etc. Those guys are all... Uh, uh, brilliant servants of the Lord and have all proven themselves over and over again. But if for some reason they happen to fall away, that doesn't make Christ's truth any less true. It does not make him any less powerful as your Lord and Savior. So don't be confused or surprised if someone leaves the faith. It's going to happen, and you're not going to know until that tribulation comes along and they wither. Because from what you can see from the surface level up, looks like a beautiful flowering plant. And it's only after it withers that you realize that the soil that it was planted in was rocky. Focus on the content of the faith, not on the performance of the people. Those are kind of three things that all tie to the same thing, but uh, you want your faith grounded not in a person, but in the uh, work and uh, divinity of Jesus Christ. So, question. This is where it gets really difficult. What if Demas had brought someone to faith in Christ through his preaching and teaching? Right, this is a man who abandoned the faith, but he abandoned the faith after a period of time working for Paul and someone who worked alongside Paul and then left. So it's reasonable to assume there was someone in the early church who had heard Demas preaching. Right? This was someone who, was, who was, seemed to be mature enough and was good enough of a teacher that he was traveling with Paul himself. So we have every reason to think that this guy taught something somewhere that brought someone to faith in Christ. 
What would it be like if you, particularly in the early church, had been brought to faith by someone like Demas, and then you found out he apostatized? He decided this actually isn't true and walked away. Does that now invalidate your faith in any significant way? Right? So to ask the question in the modern day, what if Josh Harris had brought someone to faith in Christ through reading books? What if you were someone who was on the dating scene and destroying your sexual life, and then you got a hold of his book and realized, oh, there's a different way to approach this, and you became uh, a Christian as a result of that? What if uh, Marty Sampson had brought someone to faith through one of his songs? What if someone listened to Oceans or one of those other songs, and it had affected them deeply in the way that music does, and they came to faith, and now after following this guy and seeing him as someone who had brought them in as a hero of the faith, now turning away and saying, you know what, this is like all the other religions, it's nothing different. So Demas, in love with this present world, deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The solution for the what-ifs is understand who's in charge of your salvation, who's in charge of truth, who has ordered this world. Right? The Father elects, the Son saves, and the Holy Spirit sustains. Not Marty Sampson, not Josh Harris, not Landon Johnson, not Rob Currington, not Randy Franz, not anyone in this congregation, not even you. Right? You and your own works do not save you. What saves you is the Father who elects, the Son who saves, and the Holy Spirit who sustains. If your uh, trust is in anything other than God alone, then you are trusting in something that is wrong. So if you find someone who walks away from the faith and you find yourself shaken, Examine yourself and consider how much faith have you put in man instead of put in God. God should be the one and only thing in your life. If you have him, you have it all. And if you don't have him, conversely, you've got nothing. Right? So the Marty Sampsons and the Josh Harris's who are walking away and are feeling good and saying, I'm full of life and I'm living my truth, they have given up the one thing that is of value in this life. And right now, if you're sitting in this congregation and you don't have Christ in your life, you are in the same boat as them. You got nothing. Right? You, there's a seed that is sitting in soil and it's going to be eaten by birds or it is going to spring up and die away when the sun rises or thorns are going to choke it out. Don't be one of those. You want to be the good soil. So if you are in Christ, take encouragement that your salvation doesn't rest in the performance of others. And if you're not, then I would encourage you to come up after the service is over, um, talk with me, talk with Rob, um, and get a chance to uh, become acquainted with the Savior of your soul and know that if you've got God, you've got everything. So if you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for, uh, uh, for the truth of your word. We thank you for the way that it is um, just infinitely applicable to the circumstances of life, that when we encounter things, uh, we don't have to worry that uh, there's no answer to be had that you have given us and uh, in, in your word, everything that we need in order to be well-equipped for the things that we are going to encounter. And so, Lord, as we, uh, as we uh, expect that in the coming days, as the culture becomes increasingly hostile to your truth, that we will see more and more people fall away. Uh, first, we pray that you would give us the, just the deep roots and the good soil that are necessary to endure uh, so that uh, uh, we do not put our trust and our faith in anything other than you. And Lord, for those who do apostatize, um, even now, we don't know uh, what's underneath that soil. 
Uh, it could very well be that you are going to uh, do a mighty work in their lives and bring them back around to you. We don't know yet. And so uh, at this moment, uh, there's a, uh, they have demonstrated that they have not yet turned to you in faith to believe. And so, Lord, we pray for them as we would for any other believer. And we pray that you would make our hearts soft and our hearts compassionate upon those who would walk away. Uh, if we have uh, those in our lives who are close to us, who... Uh, are questioning and are uh, finding ways in which they can find excuses that they no longer uh, can believe in you. We pray that you would help us to reach out to them in compassion and in truth, to speak the words that they need to hear so that they can understand uh, that there is salvation to be found in no other name under heaven other than yours. And in doing so, Lord, may you make us, uh, may you make us that grain that produces a harvest that is 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. We pray this all in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.